0: Welcome back to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello there. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And this week we are uh, keeping with the times and diving into Grunt Splatter's Pest Maiden from 1999 uh, on Tronix, Originally, is a seven-inch cassette and later issued as a CD. And we could not be more excited to be discussing this album.
1: And this project. It is such a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. This is
0: this rules. And not only do you get to hear us talk about this record, but at the end of our discussion, we talked to Scott Candy, the man behind Grunt Splatter, Jonathan Kennedy from Death Pile and who collaborated with Scott in Blunt Force Trauma and Phil Blankenship from Tronics, who released this back in 99 and reissued it in 2004. So we've got, uh, The whole host of people involved in this to uh, Uh give us some more insight on this awesome release. Heck yeah, yeah, definitely. uh,
1: Really cool of all three of them to be a part of this episode. We're we're so thankful. So thank you, Scott. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Phil, for lending your voices to. This episode of this incredible album.
2: We were just as excited to hear their responses. It was like we got a podcast from them. It was so exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. But yeah, uh, before we get into the album, of course, we got to do that
0: recent listening. Gray, what have you been listening to? All right. I'm going to need everybody to fasten their seatbelts or rather get a comfy, make sure you're comfy on your couch or wherever you're listening to this. I have been on a, a... ear binge this uh past week
3: Ooh sounds la la. good
0: mania armed to the teeth on tronix pack rec i mentioned in the last episode the killer sale this is uh one of the discs available in that keith brewer of taint doing excellent junk harsh noise abuse there's uh all kinds of recordings of like the firing range or maybe not a range it sounds like uh some people with some heavy artillery out in the out in the woods or a field somewhere gives it that <laughs> sort of creepy paramilitary vibe combined with just some great harsh noise. This one's awesome and uh highly highly recommended. I listened to a uh, a couple comps, actually four compilations. The first one being Noise Transmission, which was a live gig and it had Rectal Surgery, Irakara caso Dio and Mortar Machine featuring Atrax Morgue was how it was built. The uh, Irikara tracks are killer. The caso Dio tracks are, I like the studio tracks more maybe of those versions because they're way more blown out and distorted, at least in my memory. I haven't listened to those records in a while. And Mortar Machine is, you know, you get Marco in rare live form. So pretty cool comp. Hell yeah.
2: These are all very explosive.
0: That threw me in the zone. So I listened to Death Odors 1 and Death Odors 2. The slaughter comps Classic. of, uh, you know, death industrial, sort of some of the slightly neoclassical tinged and dark ambient industrial stuff from that. Those comps are legendary. I feel like we have to have to cover those comps like soon. There's so much great stuff on them. And as a whole, they they paint such a nice picture. 100%. The other one that I know that the Connellys were listening to because we were texting about it is the Sounds of Sadism compilation. That yeah. Oh, oh, Crowd yes, control. Absolutely. Absolutely out back in the day which man flawless power electronics comp like just absolutely perfect really just a a great lineup and a great uh great release
1: the death pile track on that it's like i love how it's like the title track of the comp
2: Mm -hmm. it busts in so hard
0: one thing that i always remember is that that bloody minded track moonwalker (laughs) is like just so over the top
1: oh dude it's (laughs) Way over the top, the, the A tracks track over the top. Do this mm-hmm. the, the uh, Skin Crime track, and hey,
0: yeah, the Skin Crime track is great. Grunt splatter and Grunt Splatter also, yeah. So that that had me in a real zone. And then I threw on a couple other things: the Christian Olsen CD Ligra norex on Freak Animal. I think it was originally a C sixty on uh Stigels. I think is well, that's how I pronounce that label name. It's Swedish, so I don't know. Uh, it's, we talked about that Met Gumnerbone um, uh, falling in line with the death orders and some of the death industrial stuff. It is just like post-mortem electronics, Christian, probably better known for survival unit and Alpharmania, but this is under his own name. And I think there's one bonus track on it. It's, it is just killer. Uh, highly, highly recommended. We listened to it with you, right? Didn't we? Yeah, I played this one for you, like not too long ago.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it was fantastic. It's really,
0: really, really good, and it when we can see each other. Yeah, (laughs) continues to keep me uh, interested whenever I throw it on. Francisco Lopez, Untitled Number One Hundred Eighty, got some play. I know I've been in the Lopez zone. This one uh, continued on with that. What's the style of that one? Uh, Field recordings and cut up, you know, some electronics. It's it's a cool one. What label? I want to say it's on Alienate. Oh yeah, yeah, mm. yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I have a couple. We have a couple of those because it's like it's with the clear covers, right? Like the clear
0: trays. Uh, no, this one's in a um slim, like a like a uh no no jewel case. It's in like a plastic.
1: Oh, oh that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh- yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. A sheath, so cool. Yeah,
0: the untitled ones get a little confusing for me. So, not, like, I just listened to it, but there, there's a, a good handful of them, so there, it can be hard to keep them straight, even when you know, <laughs> like, what it, what
1: totally. what it is. Yeah.
0: And then I got a package in from Found Remains with uh, kiostad Environment Electronics CD in it, which is really nice, harsh textural stuff, and uh, Terracell Unit Psalm One Thirty Seven Nine, which is nasty weird modular power electronic stuff i'm sure people know Terracell unit you know uh mac from kufar sam from i uh, will kufar and uh, crawl of time who i've talked about before and the well there's two things on my list one of them's not so harsh so let's go with the harsh one here the rita trerix rosette keep industrial out of harsh noise lp which uh i modified my artwork to say keep uh, piano sonatas out of harsh noise Cause I do like some industrial in my harsh noise.
2: <laughs> I, I oh, you know,
0: I prefer uh, no rules, but that's maybe that's just
1: me.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm like that's how some people may feel, but I don't identify with that.
0: <laughs> and uh, and then I listened to uh, we, after we did that awesome Cyan seven inch, I put on Sync Assign the CD on Manifold.
3: Oh, it's so good! Mm-hmm. It's so
0: good. The seven inch, though, I think, might be my favorite thing from them as I'm digging through. Although I think we probably have to talk about the Synapse Atmos LP sometime. Yeah, later. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm.
1: so there's so that seven inch is what a what a mind blower. You know,
0: it really it's the it's the closest in zone to that that tangerine dream zeit feeling that i Mm. that i really like that they capture and so that was a lot of stuff so thanks for bearing with me i i there's more that i forget to write down or isn't in (laughs) the stack anymore but uh, that's that's it for for right now what do you guys got
1: uh well we were doing some some spring cleaning and came upon Mm -hmm. a couple boxes and discovered some old treasures that we had been looking for one of them being an early chondritic sound cd Uh-oh. the black leather jesus 14 oh mm-hmm. hell yeah uh, so yeah. so good now you said when you were talking with richard it was originally supposed to be 13
0: no it's supposed to be tw-
1: supposed to be 12 <laughs> oh really also 2 years later yeah yeah it's awesome it's amazing cuz it's it is and it is like older recordings it's like a track from 93 and a track from 98 Right. Uh, and, and they're live ones are ones like live on the radio. Right. And then ones like live. Yeah. With
0: um, Ramirez's process though, I feel like live doesn't denote any, that there's going to be much difference in terms of the quality of the material. Like I feel like most of what he records is live in the studio or live in front of an yeah. audience. Right. And he's got such a, a great demeanor that like, when I've seen black leather, Jesus, play or seen Ramirez do other projects. He's so focused on what he's doing that it doesn't matter that there's an audience there.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, his like, like that, the hospital, uh, the amplified tactics, you know, that reissue that just came out, that's like all live stuff. And it's like some of the best stuff. And because I feel like he is such a live, like when he records in the studio. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. You know
1: what I mean? Like, so I think it's just like you're saying, whether there's an audience or not, it's gonna be it's gonna be Ramirez. It's gonna be sick, and even so. live.
2: He's playing on the floor. He doesn't. Yeah. He's not really you know interacting. He's doing yeah. his thing.
1: I wonder what the lineup. I mean, ninety three. I wonder if Dave Gilden is on that. Is
0: there not an Would insert that,
1: in yours? It, it's it just says um, the 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 um uh the the the, the track uh, info like live where, but it doesn't say lineup. It doesn't have a lineup.
0: Uh, maybe at some point, I think, I was unless sent it's on the other uh, side or
1: I remember okay, yeah.
0: it's like black on black. Uh, it is hard to read, too. Yes.
1: Either way, it's an incredible one. If, uh, if anyone has that in the stacks, it's a great great time to revisit that. Always a good time to revisit mm-hmm. Black Leather Jesus or Richard Ramirez or any of his forms. Oh, uh, it's never a bad time. Uh, and actually, we also pulled out Tangerine Dream uh, Zeit. Uh, yep. Double LP after you had, after we did the Cyan episode, <laughs> and that got that's gotten multiple spins. Heavy play. Uh, just an absolute mm-hmm. stunner, an absolute classic.
2: It's good to look at, too.
1: Oh, yeah, and it looks the good. The we we great. actually have it. The
4: we've been, we've been doing the
1: style where you put the record, like, put a record facing out on the record shelves and so we got we actually have that it, we have that a tracks overcome and rainforest green graves kind of all together they look really they cool look really together, nice actually. together yeah. it's a good
2: mix <laughs>
1: look, and, and then condom the pillar so it's it's like a perfect Just little killin'. perfect little combo and then
0: actually ramirez i keep my stuff inside
2: yeah so
1: uh,
0: it's uh i love that style well you can't put that one on a shelf because it's got that damn lock on the- it Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what a classic.
1: And then, really, we've been gearing up heavily for this episode. So, we've been listening to a ton of uh, Grunt Splatter, yes. uh, including the Rur Hunter Grunt Splatter split CD. I love me some we, Rur Hunter.
0: That's, that's Rur due Hunter's for, great. Uh, <laughs> for an episode sometime too.
1: I also, worked with Chaos's Shelter, uh, runs the Glass Throat label. Fantastic CD. The Rur Hunter stuff is amazing. Grunt slider stuff's amazing. And then just been listening to, well, also gearing up for this episode and getting in the zone, we pulled out some uh, Death Pile. And specifically, oh, yeah, Back on the Prowl Ooh. was just sounding more insane than ever. Uh, the greatest Everybody, o- rest at ease. The, the greatest opening to like a PE album. Uh, greatest first line. Just uh, Just a. Just a disturbing, heavy, dense, perfect American power electronics album. Uh so that's got that's actually got been getting played a lot. <laughs> Just, and, yeah.
2: and we listened to what is it, Snag Tharda? The well, project right, so that then, Scott Candy does with his wife.
1: So yes, yeah, so yeah. So gearing up for this episode, we were perusing some of Scott Candy's other projects. And yes, Snag Tharda is a project with him and his wife. Uh and it's super killer. Definitely on the kind of you know, ambient uh, band kind of tip. You know, there's. Yeah, it's there's, musical. Yeah, yeah. We, are, we always, in quotes here, the, a music band, uh, <laughs> which, you know. Co- uh, three people on this podcast have 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 their own music bands. So music bands. We're not we're not averse to music bands. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, snag Thardo's is, is really great. Yeah. Light Hunter. Yeah. And then uh, checked out some a bunch of other Grunt Splatter, like the Death Fires, chronicling the Fam- fan- famine. um The apparent. Um, oh shoot, uh, the names coming just just went out of my head. But uh, all pretty much Grunt Splatter, all. You know, yep. it's fantastic. And then he also has a new project, Um, the Corvide Cabal.
0: Yeah, that stuff is Heck great. Yet, I actually Cabal. grabbed some of that from Bandcamp recently. There's like four albums, and it is awesome.
1: Yep. It's really good. We did the same thing. We, we just grabbed all four. Yeah. And <laughs> really,
0: really... Really fantastic
1: stuff. And I
2: mean, I'm like, you had me at day
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'll, I'll link that yep. in the uh, episode description here. The the Definitely. Scott's Grunt Splatter Camp but also the Corviday and, uh, and Snag Tharta.
1: Snag Tharta, yeah. Which really leads us into Pest Maiden. Wow. Just,
0: <sighs> you know, just wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, right? and this, this came up the last episode. Uh, it was in your recent listening. And right after we finished recording, it was like, Let's just do that next week. That sounds awesome to get into, and it's befitting I'm so of glad the times. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Exactly. We're going back in time to look at the current times, and wow.
0: And this is way back, actually. This is a 1999 uh, original release on Tronix as a seven-inch. And 50 copies came with a, or you could order with a bonus cassette. This was one of the early things that I ordered from Tronics when I got in touch with Phil way back when. So we were talking and it's like, wow, we've known each other for over 20 years. And I have like these artifacts of stuff I bought off of him that is like points to that time when we first got in touch. Um, And
2: Did you get the bonus cassette?
0: I do have the bonus cassette, yeah nice this is a uh, an early order and one that i really enjoyed back then but i you know i probably hadn't listened to it in a good stack until you know why well, probably some years and then the cd came out and i listened to the cd when i got it and then it's been some time and i just uh threw it threw it on last week and wow it, it really just sounded better than ever so this was a natural choice it's uh Dealing with the the plague, and it's uh, it feels very fitting <laughs> to talk about now. So, no, yeah
1: absolutely, and 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 as you'll hear him, uh, you'll hear Scott himself um, discuss in in the interview with him. You know, this is this is really when Grunt splatter started treating the albums as a narrative, and you can really get that. Yes, absolutely. With this. I mean, obviously, even though it was recorded kind of separately. It putting it together this way it is a full-on narrative and with the titles and everything it's it's a really really great um and, it, and it's kind of like the first in that style for him you know and he, his albums after that would continue with that style and hone it in more this is the beginning
2: yeah and everything about it is emotionally charged you know um down to the titles and the moodiness and the energy within the tracks. Um it's it's really I don't know, it's very powerful.
1: Um Tara, now you Tara's of course been going deep into <laughs> the titles and the references and especially from what
2: And what a pleasure it's been to yeah, read about so the play.
1: Tara, why don't you just start with Pest Maiden and uh what is that a what is that what is it what is a pest maiden? What is that about?
2: So Scott was reading the Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe. It was released in 1722, but it took place in 1665, which was known as the Great Plague. So it's the Great Plague of London. Um, So it wasn't the biggest plague, but it was their last major plague. So the plague maiden or the pest maiden, as they were known, um, were, were the legend goes that she was born as a blue flame from a dying mouth of someone who had the plague. Uh, and she carried a red scarf and flew from house to house. And as she waved her scarf in front of their window or door, the people inside would catch the plague. Uh, so I think that's an amazing like um, legend of the pest maiden.
1: So that just kind of starts us off on our journey yeah. through you this could, album.
2: And you could um, eliminate her plague bearing abilities by cutting off the hand that carried the scarf. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, ladies shouldn't carry a red scarf back then.
0: <laughs> so this is a we're going to I think we're, we're all talking about the CD edition here, which is the most widely available version of this. Uh, the CD is sort of alternating tracks from the seven inch and tape. So it starts with the the first song on the tape and then goes to the first side of the seven inch second song on the tape. B side of the 7-inch and then the B side of the tape which is the longest piece on it 20 26 minutes almost. And so we're going to talk about them in that order uh although we'll probably reference right <laughs> that yeah. The uh, cuz the 7-inch tracks Scott says in his uh in his interview even that they're a little more direct than the the cassette tracks are. But the cassette tracks the first one permeating tissue Oof. it just it just starts with this like crumbling synth tone and this like and this descending sort of synth hit that carries throughout its 13 minute length is just this sort of driving force to this thing it's it's just it, it's just immediate the texture yes, and the it, world you put in
1: exactly it, it's a super strong opening it's a descent into the plague that synth hit you know just keeps you keeps you alert about what is happening and then it's just these strong heavy rains Ugh. that's what i was getting behind that mm-hmm. was just the like heavy rains that just are swirling and 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 coming from all sides
2: yeah i mean a full-blown thunderstorm yeah like absolutely a- absolute thunder like and i think we all agree like this just comes in just like heavy ominous burning
0: foreboding
2: immediately
0: Yeah. Burning is a good, and so are the rains. There's such a heavy, subtle, low-end texture and movement that, yeah, it's definitely just like the sort of oppressive, gray, dark days feeling to this where like a sickness hangs in the air, and it's got these sort of interrupting little, uh, I wrote down sparks, it's not the right term, but there's sort of something that comes in off time from the main sort of descending synth tone, and it's I, I was almost picturing that like people getting sick like each one of those a little a little wave of the uh red scarf
2: oh
1: <laughs> oh wow and I mean and this is something that you know he that a term he kind of used and was also used in the spectrum interview you know this is noise ambient and I think that's mm-hmm. a great way of thinking about it because yeah. the sounds used throughout this song and, and throughout the whole cd aren't they aren't your typical ambient sounds they don't but but he's he has worked them and 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 molded them into this kind of overall ambience, which and it's not as it's an unsettling ambience too. Yeah,
2: and it's almost like the noise becomes a field recording. Yes, like it, it's very uh, textural, and it the sh- shifts are so subtle you don't even realize it's happening. And then you're like, wait, where'd the where'd the rain go? When that thunder come in? Is that fire? Like it's, you know, it's all just very slow and delicately placed
0: yeah yeah there's i i realize uh, i'm gonna jump ahead a second but as we get to the end of oh, this yeah, piece there's i mean there's a few different events that sort of happen in this piece uh at, mm-hmm. at 13 and a half minutes uh in length you know around five minutes you get some like sort of machine loop sounding thing uh around nine minutes the background static kind of falls away but tor- towards the end it starts to peel back a bit the, the kind of all the layers and there's just there's this you know, you're talking about the rain, this oppressive dark cloud that's just left there for the end of the piece that I thought was really cool. And while listening to this, it, it's a very repetitive 13 minutes. The longer pieces on this all have this sort of sense of repetition, but it mm-hmm. never, ever gets boring. There's so much detail and subtle texture, and it's there's so much attention paid to the type of sounds that it's ne- you're never... Like, oh, I wish this would change. When it changes, it changes slightly or with some little event or something mm-hmm. pulling away or something coming in. but it never wears out its welcome because you're just submersed in this thing the whole time and it gives you just enough change. So it's it's really like repetition done right and and really interesting. It's not you know, it's not just some loops, it's not just this. It's really woven together to give you a a really a, a feel you know it brings on a a mood and settles in and just goes
1: oh i t- totally yeah. agree and and yeah like that part when the when to me it was the rains the rains kind of kind of let up but it's that feeling where even in a super stormy day when the rains let up there's almost even more of a weird Kind of feeling because everything's still gray, everything's dripping, but there's almost like a stillness, and that's what I got when the rains kind of went away. It's it was it was it wasn't necessarily like a uh, reprieve.
2: That's so fun. I was like the rain subtly clears, but the winds are taking over. Exactly. And I, I feel like the this is constantly shifting to the point that yeah, you just can't get bored because everything is just shifting so slowly. It's almost like those color changing lights that. Are just changing ever so slightly, and then all of a sudden, you realize what happened. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's it's a it's a really strong and and great way to start the the yeah, CD. Total pleasure. This Love is the and, title.
2: And
0: he, sorry, no, no, go ahead. Uh, when I put this on recently, before we decided to do this episode, this just this track, I was like. Oh, I made the right decision. You know, sometimes you yeah, might put something yeah, on. Yeah. You're not in the mood for it. I put this on, and I was just like, "Yep, okay. Why haven't I listened to this like in the last month?" <laughs> you
1: know? You're yeah. like, "Oh, I did
2: want to listen to this. this I is, did." It's so
1: yeah, exactly. It's just that immediate, mm-hmm. just that yeah. first synth hit. You're like, "I am in." Mm-hmm. Um, Terry, you 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 pulled up some some plague death numbers in in London. Oh, because that's where the, the, yes. the book that he references, the uh, Journal of the Plague Year, is takes place in in London. And well, so here you, are the
2: things that I thought were interesting about the London plagues. Um, the So they had several plagues. Uh, the first in 1603 had claimed 300,000 people. So, like, think of that, like relative to the population at the time. Uh, 1625 was 35,000 people. In 36, it was only 10,000 people, but then this is the plague um, that we're kind of looking at the most. Um, And that's 1655 to 56, 100,000 people up to 200,000 people. That was a quarter of their population. Um, So just imagine a quarter of the population disappearing. Um, The streets are empty. People are afraid to be labeled as a plague house because if somebody in your house had the plague, they would immediately board you in, put a watchman outside, and you couldn't leave for 40 days. So even if you don't have the plague, like people were dying of neglect and starvation because they would be, boarded into their homes for 40 days Tara, we might not um, have to imagine that soon yeah, exactly i know we can kind of like think it's it's weirdly like uh weirdly relevant at times like these. So, you know, the people that were the seekers looking for people with plague, they were being paid off to say that there was no plague and that people were dying from like consumption or alcohol poisoning or something else, liver disease, because they didn't want to be marked as a plague house. So they would be, um, you know, bribing people to say that they didn't have the plague. Uh, I think thought it was really interesting. I love omens. And in 1664, there was a comet that went over London. And so everybody was freaking out and they said it was a foul omen and they were waiting to see what happened. And then having the plague hit in 1655 was really um, crazy and poignant and it made people think it was the end of the world. Uh, And I also want to point out that the Great Fire of London is 1666. So Up to 200,000 people, a quarter of the population died. Then they all came back to the city and then the city burned to the ground. Like everybody in these years thought the end of the world had happened or that they survived it and then they were being punished again. So it was a really intensive and crazy time. Um, I wanted to say there's three types of plagues, septicemic, pneumonic and bubonic. So uh, they're all caused by the same coco bacillus bacteria. So shout out to bacillus. Uh, It's a coco bacillus. It's a gram-negative bacteria, um, and that causes all of the plagues. It is found in a rat flea. Uh, It was named Yersinia pestis, but guess what? They didn't find out until 1894. Think of that. Nobody knew where the plague came from until 1894. Wow. Um, So years and years later. uh, Centuries later. Yeah. Centuries later. Wow. Uh, so I I thought that was interesting. And then also um, the way that they find out uh, when they're doing archaeological digs to f- see if it was an actual plague burial site when they find mass graves of bodies, uh, they look in their teeth. So the Yersinia pestis lived in the teeth of the victims. And so they actually scan their teeth to find out if it was a bubonic plague burial site.
1: Wow. And that leads us pretty perfectly into the second track all fall down because this is now the plague is, is taken hold and now the, you know, the deaths
0: are occurring.
2: Yeah. The streets are emptied. Uh, There's weeping.
0: And this is the, everybody is shocked. A side of the seven inch that opens with this groaning wind. Before, yeah, layers and layers of weeping are what you can hear there's a, a little bit of conversation, maybe, but mostly it's just sobbing, piled yep. on, and this sort of seasick oscillation there's a there's a dull ringing in the background ah this this one is a really this has the same amount of movement as the last piece, but in five minutes there it goes through. Yes, such a a nice zone with these sort of fade outs and and returning of this kind of dull ringing. And there's just this straining plague wind that comes in towards the end that just gets louder and louder and louder. And yeah, this is people are dying. (laughs) People are dead. People are mourning, grieving and still dealing with these miserable situations and this fear of the unseen.
1: It's a very intense emotional track uh, for sure because yeah, those death winds are, are, are really blowing around. Uh, and then yeah, that, there's that point where that high tone kind of starts creeping in and it just kind of adds to the tension. It's kind of below and above the winds, but it just, it creates this uh, really incredible yeah, tension.
2: tension. I think is the perfect word for that. Like this, even like there's gasping and weeping, like, yeah, absolute tension.
1: Yeah, this this track is is, I mean, what a great what a great side of a seven inch. But then in the context of the putting it in a full length, it just it really uh, it really sits right in this CD, especially in between permeating tissue and a hasty grave.
2: Oh, that's right. And then the title. Um...
1: Oh, you, right. I'll fall down. It's there's speculation that um, that the ring around the rosy, uh, the you know the.
2: Childhood rhyme, nursery
1: rhyme, ring yeah. around the rosy, pockets full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. It uh, is a reference to the plague, uh, and and that's what, what was it in? Because the the posies were supposed to be what yeah, the it? posies
2: were supposed to ward off the plague. There were there were different like flower guards that people used, um, but but definitely posies would people would keep in their pocket. Uh well, I've always thought away, of it then...
0: as uh, putting flowers on the dead bodies so they don't smell as bad. Is that... that's, <laughs> hey, un- hey, you know... that's what I thought of as could... like just like growing up or whatever. Well, I've never looked into well, it. it. That's it could... just what I always assumed. It could, it, it,
1: it could be that too but, but also the plague doctors would put r- flowers and scented things in their nose of their mask.
2: Eucalyptus and mint and other things in nose their gaze? mask. That's why they have... Um, exactly well i mean nose usually carried and then these were just nose masks like they they had those long um you know pointy um like crow masks and that's what they would wear and they had kind of goggles in them and that was their protective gear as a plague doctor and yes nose for sure i mean it smelled terrible this is not a time when they had um sewage and sanitation i mean that that you know like we've discussed before, having, having great um, sewers and access to water um, and, and methods of getting rid of waste and garbage really uh, decreases your likelihood of plague.
3: I
1: can't imagine what it smelled like.
2: Oh, my God. It had to be just God awful. They had people that were scrapers and in the street. So everybody just threw their like old garbage and like chamber pots and stuff out their windows. And then the scrapers would just scrape it into a pile on the edge of town. So basically just just gross waste is just like scraped up using these awful shovels by hand.
0: I'm pretty sure I hear some awful shovels on a hasty grave. Oh, this is the
1: graves are being dug. It is a arduous task and the shovels, the dirt, the shifting earth. That's what this track is.
0: This is what the earth here is when the graves are being dug. That's how I took this track. Yep. There's there's this uh, gravestone ambience is all I can call it. There's this sort of like concrete being dragged sound in it and you get yeah. you get soil and leaves and i i can't escape the darkness from this one so it's like it's a moonlit night it's it's wet it's miserable and you have to move this earth to dig this grave
1: Ugh. and there, there are these weird parts that come in uh, maybe on the second half of the track this is you know of course one of the longer tracks that it almost feels like there's like this sliver of light that's trying to come through, mm-hmm. but it's not getting let through. It's it's just it's not happening. So I,
2: I thought the scene was like the end scene and the beyond, you know, when everything kind of backs away and they're on like some like oh, wow. abyssal plane and then everybody's looking around. Um, like and, when
1: they go into the painting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And then, you know, it, there are these like slight pings that are kind of lovely in this like desolation. And then I was thinking like, is that like, are these the souls flying away? Is this, you know, hope that's maybe still existing. Are they like candles lighting up in the night? Um, and it, it's just such a, a crazy scene that you get. And, and yet again, you know, we've talked about this in other tracks, but like where we start, having trouble describing the sounds because they're just made so cohesively that it it becomes more of an image, you know, it becomes more of a feeling that you get. And so instead of describing like what it sounds like, it's like you want to describe the feelings you get from it because it's, it's all, you know, just, it goes together so cohesively.
0: Absolutely. You know, that pinging you talk about, I, it's, it starts kind of early on in the track and it's also sort of a, almost a melody that's, in this piece, that kind of comes in and it's just barely there. And to me, it's—I just wrote down the Ravens' Watch. Like I, I really had a—I ah. I went full gothic on it. Like there's no, there's no avoiding it. <laughs> um, this track is just pitch black. But the the light that Connolly might be hearing in the second half of this track, to me, was was uh, the fires. They're they're out of space for graves, and they're burning the bodies. Oh wow, wow. There's this like really nice hiss and kind of inside the, inside the inferno textures that are going on there. That really was like, that's, that's where it took me.
1: What I I wrote down for hasty grave is gray skies forever. And that's just kind of, that's where we're at in this one.
2: (laughs) I like that. That's like a Lana reference.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was, it, it was, um, and then after a Hasty Grave, we we end we head back to the seven inch, and we commune with the Watchmen, the Visited, and the Under Sexton, which is uh, Scott talks about that in the Ugh. interview. Tara, what is do you remember what that what that's a reference to?
2: Well, yeah, the Watchmen were the people to make that made sure that people did not visit or go into a plague house. Okay, so, right. Yeah, you mentioned that. So before. you can't visit somebody who's had the plague, and you can't. Um, leave. So the watchmen make sure nobody goes anywhere. So they're enforcing the quarantine. Um, And the under sexton, um, a sexton was generally like taking a maintenance position in like a, in a church or, or some institution like that. Uh, And generally they were in charge of cemeteries. So the under sexton had to bury all the bodies or arrange for the burying. Um, Basically they were in charge of the cemetery business and can you imagine being overwhelmed and being the under at this time it had to be um just soul crushing
0: this oh, absolutely. is absolutely this track starts off so sort of voyeuristic in its uh in its methods like it, it i wrote plague viewers and then these sort of muted chants and thuds come in and you just you're seeing a a picture of a city block in turmoil to me of like people keeping an eye on each other, can't visit or see your friends or people you know, and bodies are being taken out and graves are being dug. And so you've got the undersexton dealing with that stuff towards the end of the track. I definitely hear the just the more digging of the graves. But there's also uh sort of these uh like more bell ringing sounds going on. Uh, it, there's some static and heavy distortion stuff, and then there's these like thin, uncomfortable highs, and even like a somewhat rhythmic grit. All this happens in the span of five minutes. This track really moves yes. through its oh, narrative and it at a does. quick pace, but it gives you just enough time to savor all the sounds.
1: Oh yeah, I mean this. There's this goes so many places. I this this track was that pulsating kind of movement. And maybe that's where you're getting that voyeuristic feel, you know, that's, and it just kind of keeps pushing through the, the whole track and the fires are to me, this is where the fires were definitely starting. Uh, and the, and the burning and the cremations were, were happening in this track.
2: I I hear heard like, Maybe it was wailing, but like almost like a distant roar, you know, like grunting, like visceral, visceral sounds. And, you know, the Watchmen, the Visited and the Under-Sexton, like just the amount of stress, it's just awful. Like all of their jobs are awful. And these people are, you know, brought to the brink of humanity and stressed. And I think that, you know, those types of feelings of Bearing it in isolation, um, really come across on
1: this, uh,
0: 100%. And then we get to finally Silent, the B side of the cassette, and the final track on this disc,
2: and, and the least silent.
0: <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> is certainly a noisy affair with this just kind of growling, filtering wall of static going on. That's just like so much grit and low end, but this track breathes i really felt this like heaving suffocating breathing mess of noise here that it it, i started to sync up with it you know you're listening to it and just sort of Mm -hmm. takes you over and you you're now on its rhythm and i I, wow i for me this was the great
1: silence is filled with ambient noise that's that's that was like (laughs) And and yeah, this one now and kind of in that style where it's by far the longest track, I mean, it's 25 minutes long. I had the least amount of notes for it, but that had nothing to do with its lack of where it was taking me and my lack of interest in it. It's just because it goes a lot of different places, but there's something that just the overall kind of movement and overall feeling that it gives and the overall wash that it gives. I just felt that I just wanted to kind of go with it. Uh and, and, and I'm let glad it, it was let 25 it take me minutes. away. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like it it 25 minutes is a good length for this. Like it you know, we were with it the whole time. Yeah, he says
1: in the interviews you will hear that you know he doesn't normally do long tracks. And I hey, I think I think his long tracks are, are fantastic. Like I mean, very successful. I mean and again, I think it's amazing what he does with the shorter tracks and how much he puts into them. But I really like the breath and the the space that that these longer tracks give especially finally silent
0: yeah they're led to sort of stretch their legs so you get a really extended idea like he's great at moving through these zones on the 7 inch tracks where they you, it gets its point across very quickly and takes you on a on a trip but i like the the slow breathing expanding version of these these longer tracks too they are they feel of course more repetitive because they have uh similar amount of ideas in them but they span a longer time but i really lets you get into the atmosphere of the piece and yeah i i didn't write any notes down for like 10 minutes towards the end of this track because it mm-hmm. it's I, I did i i did a, a line with an arrow at either end and wrote zones across it because that's what it does right. is it moves through it establishes in the first 10 minutes it establishes these sort of zones and then the next five minutes it sort of Shifts and does some different things, but then by the time you hit the fifteen minute mark, the next almost ten minutes are spent moving between all the things that's established in the piece in sort of different uh what like different iterations or combinations you're getting little pictures of things, things are fading in and out um but towards the end, you get a really nice like ringing atmosphere some some warble and uh and some creaking stuff going on that's that ends the piece really nicely but 25 minutes I wasn't bored for a second of it I mean like no not at all mm-hmm. I, I was kept in place and just like zoning out I was just focusing on the sounds and the imagery and what you know we've got the 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 CD and the tape and 7 inch have pest artwork like there's some I think fleas on the back of the mm-hmm. CD there's a, a flea there's also some uh, wood woodcuts and it's all sort of Inter, you know intersposed over each other so these uh the artwork is sort of obfuscated but you can make out some clear things here and it gives you this like it's it is it's 1600s plague like this that's
2: yeah it's a yeah, perfect absolutely. noise it's where you exactly experience it that
1: yeah it's it's absolutely where it takes you it's
2: and you know the thing i thought was remarkable on the last track like there, there are points of like this subtle beauty or sadness and mourning, like maybe hints of feeling in there. But the last track you go, it's not, it's not nice. It's not beautiful. Like, I think that it's the most like powerful, like active um, and, and maybe even like angry or violent uh, of all of the tracks. Not that it's, you know, frenetic, but it's, it's just, it shifts, but it seems just upset.
1: It's, it is an upsetting end uh uh not that it's not welcome while listening to this but it is mournful yes yeah yeah it's it's a perfect way to end this this narrative and this and this uh you know this
2: collection of ideas and the collection of images that we're giving given and and really like you know taking you to that spot where humanity is brought to the brink you know like absolutely brought to the edge to test you know what we're gonna do in those times?
0: Yeah, this isn't just about the plague, but about the humanistic ramifications of such a mm-hmm. thing, and it gives you all that through titles and artwork and the vibe of it, which is really a nice, a nice thing. It sounds
2: yeah, like how much beautifully stress miserable. can we bear? <laughs> yes, yes,
1: there you go. No, that's perfect. You know, noise, yes. ambient—that's where it's gonna take you. And wow, Grunt splatter. I mean, we can't, we can't emphasize enough that everyone needs to go out, grab any grunt splatter. The Pest Maiden, of course, is incredible, but anyone you're good with, uh, you can pick them up all through his band camp, uh, or if you know you got these discs, pull them out. If it's been a while, it's time to do it. Worked with a lot of great labels, like Crowd Control, mm-hmm. Activities. Tronix. You know, Tronix, uh, Desolation House, which was kind of what Crowd Control became you know, at, at one point in the two thousands. And another
2: one of those um projects where it it doesn't sound like the title of the project like Grunt Splatter.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Actually actually Grunt Splatter and Hair Police share the distinction of <laughs> both being in the Wire's dodgy band name list. Yay. Uh, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah. So Congratulations, guys. So we 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 share that uh distinction, uh which is, you know. It's it's a high honor, I think, yeah. to share yeah. something with Grunt Splatter. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, also, of course, Scott uh, did Worm Gear, mm-hmm. uh, Extreme Music Zine. Uh, so uh, and actually, you know, he mentions it. And so does Jonathan in the in their interviews. Um, and we've already kind of discussed that we, we want to. We'd love to do just a worm gear episode maybe with Scott. So hey Scott, we're letting you know right now. We're coming for you. Just
2: putting it out there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, like we said, his his new project, uh, the Court of a Cabal is fantastic. We're gonna have links to all all his stuff, the snag thardist stuff. It'll all be up there. Can't recommend enough to pick it all up.
0: Yeah. And now you're gonna hear Scott Candy, Jonathan Kennedy, and Phil Blankenship uh in uh little Q and a session here to discuss this working together and this record. Heck Man, yeah. It's so awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much guys for doing this.
3: Thanks thank for you listening.
1: So much. Thank you so much for doing this. It rules. And yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks. As always got a, got a shout out. Thank you so much to our Patreons. Uh, it, it, it means a lot and it's, 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 it helps to keep us going. So, uh, Thanks a ton to everyone who's, who's helping out over Absolutely. there. And, and we got, we got a lot of, we got a lot of stuff uh, going on over there. So,
0: and, uh, swing on over and m- check it out. We have more episodes like this planned right now where we're going to be talking to the people behind the records. So, uh, hopefully y'all like this new evolution in the podcast. Cause I think it's here to stay. Yeah,
1: definitely. We're, 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 we're so into we it. We
2: love it. And I just, the insight that, people have provided thus far is is just mind-blowing. So, so grateful.
1: Absolutely. So thanks, everybody. Listen to Grunt Splatter.
2: Listen to noise.
1: Keep listening to noise.
0: Can you give us a little history of Grunt Splatter? How, when, and why you started, some of your early contacts, and uh, what kind of equipment were you using early on?
5: I started technically probably in 1993. I had moved to Southern California from Michigan, and I spent a couple years trying to find people to play music with that wanted to do the same kind of things that I wanted to do and could not. At that point, I was looking to do something that was kind of a voivod Godflesh sort of hybrid, and there wasn't anybody wanting to do anything close to that that I came across. So in '93, I said, "Screw this!" and bought a four-track. I'll just do it myself. And I didn't. I had a bass, and I had my pedals for my my bass, and I had a old vocal microphone and stuff from the band that I was in in Michigan. So I started learning the four-track and fiddling around with it, and not only drawing because I didn't have a drum machine even or anything, and drawing inspiration from from bands like Voivod and Godflesh, started thinking about you know bands like Black House and Controlled Bleeding and Neubauten and SPK, uh, Missing Foundation is another one, and doing the percussion with you know toolboxes and whatever I had sitting around my apartment that I could bang on to make drums. And then the more I played with experimenting with all of that stuff, the more I started just doing experimental tracks, and I wasn't necessarily writing songs in the sense that I thought I was going to when I bought the four track. So I slowly started working on a demo, what for the project was called Cinderskin, and I, it ended up coming out eventually. But as I was working on that, I was doing almost more noise tracks than I was doing traditional types of tracks. And that basically, that was how Grunt Splatter came to be. Um, I ended up getting a a drum machine to finish that demo. And I I got one that um, was a Dr. Rhythm section, I think it was. I still have it around here someplace, um, that does synth tones and everything. So then I started making them more pure than just me making noise into a microphone. And that was how it took shape. And I ended up actually releasing the first Grunt Splatter record before I finished the demo for the Center Skin project that I bought all of this shit for. Um, and that came out in 95, uh, that was a split between myself and, uh, John Kennedy had a project called torture chamber at the time. So, uh, I put out a split that was the first release on what ended up being my record label. So that's, that's kind of how I got started.
0: Pest Maiden seems like a significant step in the work of Grunt Splatter. Do you recall feeling this way?
5: I would say it was in one regard. Like, a- after I had done the the initial tape, I bought a uh, used and sonic EPS sampler. And that changed what I was doing a lot, because it gave me a lot more flexibility and freedom. And because the sampler had eight tracks on it, that expanded what I could do with the four track that I had. And, and I did two split releases. Um, that were CDs that came out in 98. Um, one was with Roar Hunter, and the other one I released on Cryonic Mind was with a project out of Wisconsin called Slow Vent that unfortunately never really did anything. He was good um, after that, I don't think. he Maybe a compilation track. So those two releases, I felt like I developed the sound that I was trying to get to, at least at that point, pretty well. And I've, I've been going through that stuff recently this week while I have the extra time. And I'm going to put all of the tracks from those splits and probably a couple other old compilation tracks together and have them remastered or have them mastered at all. They weren't mastered in the first place. uh, And put that stuff up on Bandcamp because you haven't been able to get it for a long time. But that's where I I felt like the sound developed. With Pest Maiden, I think what developed was the storytelling aspect that came to be really important to me, at least when I'm recording, uh, taking an idea and scoring it, basically. You know, previous to that, I'd done songs based around ideas, but they were, it was a collection of songs. It wasn't a whole. And with Pest Maiden, I started to make that concept and that sort of broad idea that you score a focal point of... It, it became extremely important to what I was doing. Even if nobody paid attention to what that concept was, that didn't really matter. I needed it to figure out where the record was going and develop the sound. And so that's, that's how I would say that Pest Maiden was a change for me.
0: What was the process of recording Pest Maiden? Were these tracks done in the moment, or did they require editing and reworking?
5: Well, it started out that it was going to be a 7-inch and so the the two shorter tracks were for the 7-inch. And then after all of that was done, Phil at, at Tronics was like, hey, why don't we do a limited edition cassette for the, you know, I think it was the first 50 people that bought the 7-inch. So the tape tracks were recorded kind of as an afterthought. Not that I rushed through them necessarily, but it wasn't part of the idea when I started. So those were done a little more in the moment and organically. I, I mean, there's probably some but you know, addition, it wasn't one take, but it was done much more organically. Whereas the seven inch tracks were more constructed. I mean, I've always kind of felt like the mix is a pretty crucial part of the whole composition for me like i i spend a fair amount of time working on the mix and even though i'll i do everything on hardware i don't really use software except to record so i'll, I'll play it all organically and play it in the moment and then but then i go back and and shape it and so i as far as bringing things in and out of the mix and accentuating different things. So I did more of that on the 7-inch songs, whereas on the the longer tracks that are on what was the cassette at the time, those were a little more like if I was playing live or something. That would be the other thing, is those tracks that ended up on that cassette, those are the longest tracks I've ever done. And I don't don't generally like to do super long tracks, but I just listened back through all of this for the first time in probably a decade the other day. And I, I ended up not minding them as much as I thought I might. But that, that was basically the process. It, it was in two parts, and some of it was more deliberate, and some of it was more organic.
0: Pest Maiden has themes dealing with the plague. Was this something you were interested in and studying at the time?
5: Uh, I've, I've always kind of read about disease, antibiotic resistances, mostly disease and history, things like that. And so it's always something that I think about in a sense, and, and have, based on that reading, a kind of background intellectual dread about how nature can take things back whenever it decides it needs to. But at the time of Pest Maiden, I was reading a book called The Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe, and that is when it came out, and f- for quite a while after that, people thought that it was real because it's it's written as a journal. I mean, it's, it's exactly what it says it is. It's a journal of the plague year. And it was a mix of journalism and fiction, but it's written in the in diary format. And it's basically what happens over the course of a year as the plague comes in and consumes this guy's village. And there's some scenes in that book that I still think about. And one of them is, uh, he was talking about hearing the sound of all of the weeping coming from behind the locked doors in the empty streets in everybody's house, because everybody had somebody that was dying or dead in there that they couldn't do anything about. And so that that was kind of the concept that drove this the track all fall down. That's one of the few times that I've used samples. Actually, was the weeping in the in that song. And then the the other track from the seven inch, the Watchmen that visited and the Under Sexton. That was just sort of the people that watched to make sure that people weren't leaving their houses. The visited were the people where the plague had come. The Under Sexton was basically this apprentice priest that had to deal with burying all of the corpses. So that track kind of moves through those three perspectives, I guess. So that that book definitely weighed on me, but it's something that I, that and uh, The Plague by Camus was another one I'd read right around that time. So it, w- it was something I was thinking about a lot, but it wasn't something that was new to me at that moment necessarily. I just lucked out and found a couple of really more personal books that were really powerful that helped me focus on doing what I wanted to do with it.
0: How do you see Grunt Splatter's evolution after Pest Maiden?
5: It was the material from those split CDs that I mentioned that ended up getting the attention of crowd control activities who put out my first real record. But in between that, Pest Maiden came out. So I don't know that it contributed to being able to do that, but it it helped me change the way that I was going to approach doing basically everything going forward because it, it put that narrative element into what I wanted to do. From that point on, The Death Fires was the first full CD that I did, and that's basically looking at different perspectives around mortality. I had, I think both my grandparents died while I was working on that record, so one of the songs on there I recorded right after getting off the phone and finding out that my grandma had passed. Um, There are, you know, my dad died when I was young, so there's influence from that there's influence from from lots of different things and i tried to shape that narrative as i went through the record and that continued on with chronicling the famine that's definitely got a story that runs through it the album after that eulogist assembly Same thing. It's got a clear sort of narrative where I I think things out and then I'm like, okay, each song is basically a chapter of what I'm trying to get across. And I don't expect anybody to listen to it and and get the same idea from it that I put into it. That's not even really the point for me. I'd rather people listen to it and make it whatever they want it to be. The point is that I need that set of landmarks to go through So and I listen to it and I go, okay, I need something that feels like this here to make this point. And the Aberrant Laboratory, is, that one is probably the most cohesive as far as storyline goes that I have done.
0: How did you get in touch with Phil Blankenship from Tronix and what led to him releasing Pest Maiden?
5: Phil lived in Berkeley and I lived in San Francisco then. And I don't remember how we actually met in the first place. If he just sent me an email or if he sent me uh, something to review for Worm Gear which was the magazine that I was working on at the time. But because we were close you know, we were both in the area, we ended up getting together and hanging out. And I had offered to help him with some of the artwork for some of the releases that he was doing. I even printed some of them on my printer and stuff like that. And we just got to be friends because we were in the same area and he suggested doing the seven inch. And that was really it. It wasn't like a, it was just it sort of grew out of us already being friends and knowing each other and and doing what we could to help each other out, I think. And I think it did okay for him because he he ended up reissuing it on the CD, which is, that's got everything from the 7-inch and the tape all put together and remastered and, and stuff like that.
0: What were live Grunt Splatter shows like around this time? Were the sounds in the same vein as Pest Maiden?
5: I did a few shows around this time and I never tried to mimic an album. I would... I always tried to have them be the same tone, but given that they're live, it would it would build to more crescendos, I guess, than the stuff on the record does. But I, yeah, I definitely tried to set that sort of, I always just call it like noise ambient, because I, I use stuff that can be really harsh, but I try and use it in a way that is atmospheric with the sounds around it. So I, I, that's what I try to do whenever I've played a show, and the ones back then would have been the same same way.
0: How did the first Grunt Splatter show come about?
5: The first time I played live was actually with a collaboration with Stephen Petrus from Murder's Vision. And uh, he did in Throws back then and and stuff. And he came out. We we had done a a collaboration called Umbra. And he came out to San Francisco to visit. And uh, Phil Blankenship set up a show for us. And that was cool because I got to meet Stephen Stephen Woodman from Azoikum came to town during that time, and so he was there. Uh, Stephen Kluza was there, and Phil set up this show for us. And so that was that was the first time that I've played this kind of music live, and that was probably in '97. And that went all right. It was fun to do, and um, we put out a limited recording of the show and stuff. A few months after that, uh, I got a phone call from from Phil saying, you know, Grunt Splatter's playing. And he had gone ahead and booked the first Grunt Splatter show without ever asking me if it was okay, because I think he knew that I wasn't going to do it myself because that's just not my personality, really. So he had booked a show with a couple of industrial bands, a Scar Tissue and... Synesthesia murder program and put me on as the opener. And so I had to figure out what I was going to do. And that was the first time that I played live. And um, pretty much every show I played in the Bay Area, Phil set up. There might have been one that he didn't, but he did the Tronics Fest shows and I I played both of those. And uh, there may have been something else. Yeah, and actually the last show that I ever played was with you, Gray. I haven't played since then. That show, even though there was eight people there. I felt like that was probably my, I was happiest with that one. So that gives you an idea of what I was trying to do anyway. But, uh, I don't have Phil to book stuff for me up here anymore. So, um, I did a couple shows after I first moved up here, but I haven't really ever made it a priority. So that's, that's how I got into it. I, I like the, the actual performing. I hate standing around for, you know, 12 hours and the whole, Tearing apart my studio and all of that stuff that goes into doing shows. But the actual performing I really enjoy. Maybe I'll do it again at some point. But it's just never been a huge priority for me.
0: That show had a great lineup despite poor attendance. When did you first meet and begin working with Jonathan Kennedy? Are there any unreleased Blunt Force Trauma recordings?
5: I met John in 1995 because I... We were starting Worm Gear, and I wanted to interview Dead World for our first issue, and so I asked him, and he said yes. And you know, we've been friends ever since. We basically just we hit it off, and he was the biggest early supporter of what I was doing and I was trying to support what he was doing because he he had done the torture chamber thing and he was getting you know he was launching Death Pile and we were constantly throwing bands at each other to check out. So I've known John for a really long time. John is a John is a good human. And as far as in 97 we did the did the Blunt Force Trauma r- record and there there aren't any unreleased Blunt Force trauma tracks. We did the Blood Out record in 97 and then I don't remember what year it came out but several years later when Phil was doing all of the business card cds the little one track cds that he put out on pack wreck he asked if we would do one and so we did a track for that but that is it there's nothing in the can john lives here in portland now and i wouldn't be surprised and would hope that at some point he and i will do some kind of project together again but i probably wouldn't be blunt force trauma it would probably be something else because i don't know how much Either one of us listens to this, that completely overpowering, harsh stuff. And certainly not, you know, that's not what I feel like doing when I sit down at my equipment necessarily. But who knows?
0: What have you been working on lately and do you have any new releases in the pipeline?
5: Grunt Splatter has kind of been on hiatus for a, a number of reasons for a long time. Where I would do a compilation track here and there. I wrote the chapter on the American scene for the Fight Your Own War power electronics book and there was a cd that or i guess it was downloads came with that i did a grunt splatter track for that but i hadn't done a a lot of music for a while long while and there has been a collection of unreleased and rare grunt splatter tracks that has been in the works for probably five years now (laughs) that fall of nature is putting out it took me a really long time to get the material together and i got it to him at the label a couple years ago and I'm, I'm not sure it took him a couple of years to be able to to get it together to put it out and it's uh, as far as i know it's was sent to the pressing plant right before all of the pandemic stuff happened and so i believe it's coming out soon but i've thought that before and that one has got four or five unreleased tracks on it some compilation tracks. It's got a version of one of the songs off of Aberrant Laboratory that I actually had submitted the master to Dark Vinyl for that record. And there was just something about this song that was bugging me. And so I held up the release and I redid it and then resubmitted the master. So the original version of that is going to be on this CD. It's called Dragging the Rivers of Sleep so hopefully that'll be out soon and the other thing is i mentioned i've been going through the material from the, those first two splits from 98 the one with Roar Hunter and the one with Slovent. and putting that stuff together along with a handful of other compilation tracks from around that period that haven't gotten reissued yet and i'm going to have uh, Thomas Garrison master all of that stuff so i'm i'm just going to put that stuff together and put it up on Bandcamp i haven't and just to make it available cuz you haven't been able to get it for a really long time so Beyond that, I have a series of quote-unquote power electronics tracks that I want to collect together as a as a single release too. That would be the six songs from the Passions of a Cripple 12-inch that uh, Force of Nature put out, and like the track from uh, Sound of Sadism. There's a track from the uh, old live bait compilation Bloodletting that w- I'll probably put on there. The track from that I did for the the Fight Your Own War book. Um, I'll probably put all of that stuff on there and see if I can find anything else that fits. I still have to find some of the masters from the, the original recording stuff from the Passions of the Cripple, so I don't know when that's going to be done, but that's that's another sort of reissue thing that I want to get done. And I started getting into modular Eurorack stuff a couple years ago, and that has been consuming and... and Really enjoyable. So I've I've been working on that kind of stuff. Uh, my wife and I did a record in 2018. It came out that we'd always wanted to do some music together, and we'd just never done it. And so we we finally did a. It's kind of a seven song, short record, long EP. And she wrote most of the songs, but we worked on it together. She wrote well. She wrote all the songs. That's called Snag Tharda. That's up on Bandcamp, and that's kind of a shoegazy david Lynchy kind of uh, it's it's much more traditional song structures than anything else that i've done so i did that and then as i've been learning the modular and reacquainting myself with all my recording equipment and and how i do things I was recording a lot of music just to kind of get my feet back under me. And that stuff I ended up releasing under the name The Corvide Cabal. And that came out, it was about the first sort of glut of stuff that I did was about two and a half hours of music. And I broke it up into four EPs. So that stuff's all up on Bandcamp. And I'm continued continuing to do that. I don't have anything else new ready to release just yet, but I have a lot of stuff that I'm working on. As far as Grunt Splatter goes, I know at some point I'll do at least one more record under that name, but I'm not quite sure when. The Corvide Cabal stuff is similar, but different, and it, it may end up becoming even more similar. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm still learning all that stuff. I'm still fascinated by it, and so I'm not entirely sure where it's going to go. But I think that there will be another Grunt splatter at some point. I just have to decide what it's going to be and and have the time to kind of map it out. And because I I was very happy with the Aberrant Laboratory and I, I want to do something that will be at least as good as that. And it's been so long since I've done stuff that I'm just kind of building my confidence back up, I guess.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to answer our questions, Scott. We also had a chance to ask collaborator and longtime friend Jonathan Kennedy some questions about Grunt
3: Splatter. Let's dive into that. When did you first meet Scott and hear his music? I didn't meet Scott in person until I moved out here a few years ago. We got in touch in the mid-90s, maybe like 94 or something like that. He interviewed me for Warm Gear Magazine for Dead World. It was just before Thanatos Descends was recorded. Then after that, we sort of became friends, used to talk on the phone all the time. Was the torture chamber split the first release you guys did together? Yes. We had been wanting to do something together for a while, so we both liked each other's music, and um, that was his suggestion, I believe. And we did the torture chamber show. It was like a live set from 95, and that became the material we used for for our side, and then his was the first grunt splatter recordings, if I'm not mistaken. How did Blunt Force Trauma come about? If I remember right, it came out of a discussion we had about how so many noise albums were coming out by the same people, like countless albums, and uh, a lot of artists were doing that, just like one after the other after the other, and it was like a a lot of artists were operating on the uh, quantity over quality method and we thought about doing like a very layered, complex, dense album and uh, not worrying about if we do another one. Are there any unreleased Blunt Force Trauma recordings? All that was recorded was bled Out, and then we recorded one song for Phil's uh, business card CD, bar releases. That
0: was it. Grunt Splatter's a very unique project. Where did you see it fitting in with the rest of the 90s noise
3: and experimental scene? I liked Scott's taste in music. He used to send me uh, compilations that he made of stuff he liked, and it was always good stuff. I'm trying to remember, he I think he got me into like Illusion of Safety and um, a few other things before I ever heard him from anybody else. So then, when he, I heard his music, which at the time was Cinderskin, I liked it a lot, and. Um, When he said he was going to do something that was just, you know, experimental noise, for lack of a better term, I was excited to hear it. For all I know, the the first I ever heard of it was the recordings that were on his side of the bisect split. And it's just, nothing sounds like that. And that's why I've always liked Scott's work. Uh, Where did I see it fitting in? It, It didn't fit in. That's why I liked it so much. How have you seen Scott's work evolve over the years? Honestly, to me, it's just gotten better with each subsequent thing. Much like yen pox every release is good and every release gets a little better you can just always expect high quality out of everything and and i gotta say that the Day cabal if i'm pronouncing that correct is fantastic stuff i listen to that all the time like i i listen to that type of music when i read uh on the way to and from work and i've listened to those four albums like countless times in fact i just was a few minutes ago any good anecdotes to add about working with scott He's one of the only people who doesn't drink that I really like a lot. Normally, I'm like, if they don't drink, I I don't really want to hang out with this person. I'm half kidding. Scott's just a super smart, interesting guy, super talented musician and writer. One story I would relate is that the bisex split, I made one of the s- still to this day, I kick myself about this we had to eq the living shit out of uh, our side of the tape the torture chamber side to get it to sound the way we wanted to and i have no idea why the next two things happened one the actually a very well regarded competent uh, studio engineer he asked do you want to u-? he knew that the other side was another band and he asked do you want to use the same eq for the other side one why the fuck did he ask that and two why did i say yeah and jason from torture chamber was sitting next to me and, sa- and was like yeah it's like why what what were the three of us thinking because scott noticed of course and it, and it didn't sound better and i haven't the slightest idea why i did that so i learned from that don't ever eq anybody's stuff unless they ask you to so sorry about that scott i think that's it thanks guys and finally, Phil Blankenship from Tronics and the
0: Cherry Point has the answers to your burning questions. If you're listening to this out loud, Phil drops a couple F bombs. So you might want to turn it down a bit. How did you get into contact with Scott Candy?
4: Fuck man. That's 20 plus years ago. I I can barely remember uh, what day it is today during all this fucking pandemic shit. Um, but I think it was a, a culmination of a, a bunch of different factors. Uh, One, of course, Scott was living in San Francisco at the time. I was living across the bay in Berkeley. Um, I was a huge music fan and uh, liked what he was doing. Then also I was uh, reading his zine that he was working with, uh, Worm Gear. And then with Worm Gear, I'm sure I was sending him lots of fucking uh, bullshit to review. Um, And he was always incredibly supportive with everything on Left Hand Decision and like the Tronics label. So uh, there was all that. Uh, But then when I I first met him in person, I feel like we definitely hit it off. We're both kind of uh, music obsessed weirdos who uh, pretty much don't like other people for the most part. Um, So I feel like we definitely hit it off on... That respect. Plus, uh, I remember his uh, apartment in San Francisco. He had a chinchilla, and it was the fucking first time I ever saw a chinchilla in real life and got to touch it. It was pretty fucking killer.
0: How did Pest Maiden come about? And what factored into the decision to include a bonus tape?
4: At the beginning of uh Tronics, when I was doing everything, uh I kicked it off and was doing a bunch of, uh, you know, I was it's fucking the late 90s I was doing uh cassette tapes and stuff like that and I was mainly doing stuff for my own project and then I as most labels do uh they they slowly branch out and do bigger and better things and let's see I did the the 7-inch the left-hand decision uh uh split 7-inch with uh Stefan from Germany and uh I thought that went pretty well and I wanted to do more. And of course, you know, Scott Scott was my buddy, and I loved everything he was doing. So I thought he would be a, a great person to approach and do that. And I'm glad I did, because the Pest Maiden fucking record rules. As to uh, why we included a bonus tape, man, maybe Scott will remember that more. But uh, I think that there was... Uh, more material than could fit on a seven inch so we were uh eager to get this to the people but also it was one of those first 50 copies sold of the seven inch uh would get you the tape so it would certainly uh help move at least some of those first copies of the record um and we had uh scott and i had i had well Tronics had released uh scott's grimes project on cassette uh shortly beforehand. And I think we were both happy with how that worked out. So I think that's how that, that happened. Later, uh, when I, after I moved down to Los Angeles and started doing, uh, CDs on a more regular basis, when I started doing the, the Pacrec, uh, CD wallet, uh, cardboard sleeve, uh, discs, uh, I immediately thought of Scott and, uh, the best made in seven inch in the tape and one of the first batches i did of those cds uh, we put all that together and did a disc and in that disc turned out real great but scott also with his design work he had helped out with a lot of those early uh, pack rec discs so he did the artwork and layout for the Richard Ramirez and skin crime disc. He did the artwork for the Luisa rail disc and a bunch of other stuff. So we were definitely collaborating.
0: Can you share any memories of Tronics fest or of Grunt Splatters set?
4: Anybody who's ever put on a, a show or a festival, uh, can let you know that it is a uh, very time consuming and stressful. And this was, I think probably the first one I ever did. So I don't remember too much other than, uh, Scott had a lot of gear. Not as much as uh, Thomas when Control played. But uh, Scott had a bunch of gear. And I remember it being good. And I remember he had a a video backdrop.
0: Scott said you booked his first gig without asking him. What's up with that?
4: Scott said I booked his first gig without asking him? (laughs) Ha! Fuck. Uh, I don't exactly remember that, but that sounds like some sort of asshole thing I do. Sometimes I uh, can certainly get eager and excited and maybe uh, move a little too fast. And I probably was doing that there, pushing, pushing Scott to uh, get out of the studio and uh, onto the stage because I knew he could do it.
0: Thanks to Scott, Jonathan and Phil for taking the time to fill us in and give us the history behind this release. And of course, Scott and Phil for getting this release out there in the world. And thanks to all of our patrons. uh, We've got a few new ones here. Joe Tunis, Darren Baller, Sean Cooper, Theodore Traeger, Chris Robinson, Mason Vickers, Imp, Stephen Litt, Trevor Habig, Devod, and Zola Jesus. Thanks a lot, guys. It means a lot to have new people signing up uh, with all that's going on right now, and next month we'll have some more names to add, so thank you. We're really busy over at the Patreon with uh, three new episodes a week. There's 7-Inch Sunday, Home Time, and now a new series, Noise Rumble, the Connellys are doing about about wrestling and the intersection of noise and wrestling while also covering the Noise Rumble record on Stinky Horsefuck. So there you go.
2: You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us, and to noise.